Timothy chapter 5, and uh, we will uh, try this week to uh, deal with the widow problem last Sunday night. Last Sunday night, we went through the first few verses here, how to deal with different people in the church. And again, we see Paul making strong statements against so much that goes on in what we call religion today. Uh, Timothy was not there, though he had the authority of the Apostle Paul and had his direction. Uh, we don't see Timothy lording himself over everyone. He was learning to work with people right where they are. He was to help. He was to guide. He was to direct. But in no way was Timothy to compromise. So often we think when we have to get along with people, I mean, we talk about politics. And uh, the, the key to politics is compromise. Uh, but let's stop and just look at what goes on in politics today. Um, we had a former president who compromised on education. He let former Senator Ted Kennedy write the education bill. Do you remember when President Bush did that? Did Ted Kennedy compromise on anything he put in the education bill? Absolutely no, it was an abomination to what should have been in the education bill. You never get anywhere by compromising with error. And Timothy was not compromising here, not one bit. And they're trying this today in religious circles and I remember the preachers coming into chapel and beginning to preach on, you got to make the main thing the main thing. Well, you know, that sounds really good, doesn't it? And you know what? They decided that the main thing was helping people. And if you believe differently about the Bible and the versions of the Bible, well, that's not the main thing. A question, how are you going to help someone if you don't have a definitive word to help them with? Amen? They said, well, you know, Jesus started many different kinds of churches. Why? He only started one. Uh, if that church disagrees with this book, then it's not Jesus' church. In fact, many of those churches read in Revelation. Jesus told the church at Ephesus, that was the church that Timothy was helping. He said, you've left your first love. If you don't get it back, you're not going to be a church anymore. I'm going to take your candlestick away. Now, that ought to make us fearful. Amen? And it ought to make us desirous to do exactly what Paul told Timothy to do. Teach sound doctrine. Amen? And this is what Timothy is covering here. And yet, I, I love the way God's Word works. 
you know, I we've been here together now as a church. Now, not everybody, but and people come on at different times. But our church is over 17 years old. Uh, we've been around just a little while, and we praise the Lord for what He has done here. But you know, and never one time have I walked into a business meeting or anything. I'm the pastor around here. I've never had to do that. You know why? Because the Spirit of God has enabled us to work together, to work through our difficulties, and keep the living God. Amen? That's what a church is supposed to do. Now, Paul deals with something that... There's a lot of crazy doctrines that come out of these verses that we're going to look at tonight. And uh, we just, uh, I have entitled this, The Widow Problem. And uh, if you'll remember back to Acts chapter 6, what was the first major problem they had in the church? The Greeks, the non-Jewish people were saying, You're not taking care of our widows the same way you're taking care of the Jewish widows. And so they appointed seven men full of the Holy Spirit. One of them was soon put to death by the very men that had put Jesus to death to take care of the widows in the church. And this was the intent. Honor thy father and Thy mother. This is what God was talking about. We we often say, honor your father and your mother. You too, honor your father right now. Stop and stop messing around in church, all right? Now, that's the way we normally apply this thing. But honoring your parents is much more than just children obeying their parents. It's when your parents are old and cannot take care of themselves. It is the job of the children. I'll tell you what, I am not depending upon Social Security for my retirement. I have none. I am not part of the program. I will not get benefits. But I have a multi-tiered retirement system in the works. Lord willing, when this next one shows up here in a few weeks, uh, when my wife and I get old, we're going to get in some kind of car and we're going to visit them one month at a time and we'll have the whole year taken care of and nobody will have to put up with cranky old grandparents for more than about a month. I mean, they could handle that. But that's the way it's supposed to be. And I would appreciate your continued prayers as my two brothers and myself are still trying to wade through all of the uh, details and things so that we can make provision for our mother. And because that's the way it's supposed to be. And the Bible says, let's just read the passages here. Verse 3, honor widows that are widows indeed. But if any widow have children or nephews, 
Let them learn first to show piety at home and to requite their parents, for that is good and acceptable before God. Now she that is a widow indeed and desolate trusteth in God and continueth in supplications and prayers night and day. But she that liveth in pleasure is dead while she liveth, and these things give in charge that they may be blameless. But if any provide not for his own, especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. Let not a widow be taken into the number under threescore years old, having been the the wife of one man, well reported of for good works, if she have brought up children, if she have lodged strangers, if she have washed the saints' feet, if she have relieved the afflicted, if she have diligently followed every good work. But the younger widows refuse, for when they have begun to wax wanton against Christ, they will marry, having damnation because they have cast off their first faith. And withal they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, not only idle, but tattlers, busybodies, speaking things, which they ought not. I will, therefore, that the younger women marry, bear children, guide the house, give none occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully, For some are already turned aside after Satan. If any man or woman that believeth have widows, let them relieve them, and let not the church be charged, that it may relieve them that are widows indeed. Now, simply, these are the regulations. This is what Paul is trying to do. He's trying to help Timothy set things. And he said, listen, you need to honor the widows that are widows indeed. Because there are a lot of widows that would have other things and uh, have other means of support and should not be chargeable to the church. Now, today, it is very different in our country. We have Social Security. We have Medicaid. We have all kinds of public benefits. But do you realize that before the rain... Uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, and I did use that word on purpose, uh, there was no such thing. Charity was done through the family and through the churches. Now we have a government that wants to do all charitable work through the government. Now, why would that be? Well, could I just offer you one little word? Control. That's what it's all about. It doesn't matter that once you have control of everything, you own nothing. It's just the idea that you're in control. That is the baseline of communism and socialism and all of these things. Because once you get control of everything, what's left? Those of you that lived... Under communism. Once they have it all, guess who has nothing? Everybody else. And so we need to pray for our nation. Amen. And the body and the Bible here is saying, listen, if the widow have children or nephews, it says, let them learn their piety or their religion at home. Now, what it simply means is if your religion is real, 
you're going to take care of things in your own family. You're going to do right. That's what it is saying. Now, this word piety, uh, please don't do this, but there is a whole volume of religious works under the term of piety or pietism. Uh, There have been entire movements uh, built around this idea. And what this simply means is a real super revival of religion. Now, since when is Jesus' church dead and lacking in holiness which is uh, what piety is. It's lived out holiness. Since when has Jesus' church ever been dead and without life and without holiness? Never. The pietistic movements are within dead churches trying to give life to a church that has no life From Jesus Christ. How many of you remember promise weepers? I mean keepers. Um, And the reason I call them promise weepers is because at the big promise keeper rallies, all the men hugged each other and cried at the end of the meeting. That's what ladies do at ladies meetings. And it's good for ladies to hug each other and cry. I mean, that's uh, that's just what's supposed to happen. But it's absolutely amazing to me, disgusting, I should rather say, that the group who was going to try to help men be men made them act like a bunch of women. I just, I'm sorry, that's my opinion. But uh, I think I have the mind of the Lord there as well, don't you? And they call me up. And said, well, the church has failed at its job of making men men. I said, speak for yourself. I said, that's all we do around here, is we work on our men being men. And we don't accomplish as much as we want to, but neither do you, sir. And uh, we had quite a lively conversation. But let me tell you, piety is nothing more than real Christianity. It's living what the Bible says. You ought to be different in the way you live. Amen? And if your religion is no good in your house, your religion is no good. It's got to be real at home just like it is at church. How many people are not serving God today because of some pious gas bag. That's what we call them in Bible college. The headquarters was Harper 401. Mine was Harper 410. Uh, Those were the dorms, uh, rooms that I stayed in. And they had a little plaque right on the door, you know, headquarters of the pious gas bags, and they weren't kidding either. Uh, It was awful. But we have all these people who go around spouting these things, and when they go home, I mean, it's Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Paul was saying, listen, Timothy, that kind of religion isn't real. You better understand 
that you'd better take things at home. If your religion doesn't work good at home, if you can't take care of your own parents, if you can't do the responsibilities that any normal person should do, then you got problems with your relationship with God. And Timothy was there to set things in order. Now, verse 5 says, Now that she is a widow indeed and desolate, trusteth in God and continueth in supplications and prayers night and day, but she that liveth in pleasure is dead while she liveth. All these things give in charge that they may be blameless. Now, could you comprehend someone getting the idea of monasteries and nunneries and all of that out of this passage? Well, believe it or not, that's where they, this is the passage that they run to, to build these things. But let's give you a little bit of history here. Does anybody know where the monasteries and the ideas of monasteries and nunneries actually came from? It didn't come from 1 Timothy chapter 5. Let me promise you that. In fact, we'll find out that this idea was already in existence. It came from paganism, my friend. You know that the Buddhist religion has had monasteries where they separate the men and the women long before the Christian era. Buddha lived about 200 years before Christ. Did you know that the Babylonians and the Zoroastrians and many of the ancient mystic religions all taught that marital cohabitation was evil and that men, in order to really find God, needed to be separated from women and women from men. And what has that always led to? Gross sin. It has always led to the most vile passions known to mankind. In fact, Paul's already, and we'll allude to it again. He said, listen, they've, they've given heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Chapter 4, verse 1. And here's what it says. Here's the, here's the seducing spirits, doctrines of devils. Verse 3, forbidding to marry, commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them that believe and know the truth. Now, does anybody know the exact religion that Paul was addressing here when he was talking about forbidding to marry and abstaining from meats? Do we have any scholars among us tonight? Has anybody ever heard of the Gnostics? That was the, the actual group. You would know them better by the Dead Sea Scrolls, the Qumran community. These were the Gnostics. The word Gnostics comes from the Greek word, which means to know. Sounds like Democrats to me. I'm sorry. Um, people who claim to know everything. They had special truth. And you know how they got this special truth? They would fast for days on end and not eat anything. And they would beat themselves and they would torture themselves in many different ways. And let me tell you something. If you live for three weeks on nothing but a handful of lettuce every day, you'd begin to see visions and things that you never thought you could see. But that's what these people were doing. 
And by the way, this ancient religion of Gnosticism was nothing but a rebirth of what had gone on in Babylonia many centuries before and has been rebirthed in many different religions over the years. We're not just trying to pick on the Catholics tonight or the Orthodox Church. They just simply adopted these ideas that had come from paganism and the search for God by denying yourself the ideal of marriage and eating meat and all of this stuff. And uh, some idiot came up with the idea, do you know that you can live longer if you inhale only 1,400 calories a day? Do you know how many calories 1,400 are? Well, just to give you an idea, if you go down to uh, Starbucks and get one of those big lattes with the shots of syrup and the whipped cream on top, that's 1,200 right there. God did not intend for us to starve to death in serving Him. He didn't intend for us to dig our graves with our forks either. But God wants us to enjoy life. And the devil's always tried to take the joy out of life. And that's what was going on here. You take somebody, and look what it says here. A widow that is desolate. She has no income. She has no means of support. There weren't government programs, and I'm not saying that you should depend on government programs. The church was to help her out. Amen? But it says, she that lives in pleasure is dead while she liveth. The church is not your launching pad for you to satisfy your expectations. By the way, that's Joe Olstein. God is not interested in what you think. God is not interested in what makes you happy. You say, why not? Can I be just very plain tonight? I don't have much of a voice, so you have to just endure with me. We are too dumb to know what is in our own best interest. Would you say amen with me to that? If you but if we'll surrender to God and do His will, guess where you find the real joy and the real happiness and the real peace? All the things that the world claims to give you, you'll find them in God. You'll find them in obedience to this book. In fact, if you were to take a category of your life, you could do it very easily. Just draw a line right down the center of paper. Choices that I allow God to make for me, Put on the happy side of the paper. Choices that I made for myself to make myself happy, put on the sad side of the paper. And you'll have the history of your life, happy and sad. And this is what Paul is trying to get across here. If you're living for yourself, the church isn't going to help you do that. That's what he means by she that liveth in pleasure. It's not... That someone has a joyful life. God wants us to have a joyful life. Amen? He wants us to enjoy the best. But you know, we have to make some choices that sometimes just aren't the most pleasant in the world. 
It is far easier to deal with loneliness than it is to deal with divorce. It is far easier to deal with poverty than it is to deal with massive indebtedness. It is far easier to deal with God based upon His Word than it is to be a part of any religion that mankind has invented. You see, I've I've heard people all my life say, but that road is so narrow. Praise God. There aren't many decisions to make. Amen. There's less things to worry about. Excuse me. The Bible is trying to keep us and spare us from all the suffering that the world's things bring on. Amen? We have all a lot of financial problems. Why? Because we loan money to people who couldn't pay it back. How'd you like to be one of those people in one of those houses and you can't afford to live in the house you bought? Evil bankers. How about evil politicians that set it up and things like that? How about we put the blame where it really belongs, my friend? The Bible says, These things give in charge that they may be blameless. Let your religion be real. Take care of things in your house. One preacher put it this way. He said, we developed all these ministries at the church. He said, we have the kids going out five nights a week in their sports games at the Christian school. And we have the seminars for the wives and the seminars for the husbands. And we have all these things going on. And everybody's going every which direction but together. He said, and the church ends up trying to put families back together that it tore apart. Wait a minute. That's not the job of the church to tear apart families, now is it? The job of the church is to bring families together. Is to make your religion real at home. That's why as your pastor, I, I really don't want to start a Christian school. It's not because I'm against a Christian school. Your kids will get a far better education in your home, under your tutelage and under your supervision than they will in any public school. But your kids will get something you can't give them anywhere else. They'll get parents. That's what children need more than an education. I don't care if my kids never learn how to solve polynomial equations. By the way, all of them are going to. Aren't they? It is important to have an education. But it's much more important to have parents. That's what Paul's teaching here. Learn your piety at home. Let your religion be real. 
Verse 8 says, But if any provide not for his own, especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. Now, how many of you know what an infidel is? That is a blasphemer of God. That is someone who stands up and says, I believe the Bible's just a storybook. That's an infidel. There is no God. God is dead. That's an infidel. Uh, I like the quote of Mark Twain. He said, uh, The recent report of my death has been greatly exaggerated. His brother had been sick, and some newspaper reporter got a hold of it and printed in the newspaper that Mark Twain had, been, had died. And so he wrote the paper personally and said, The events surrounding my supposed death have been greatly exaggerated. Listen, God's not dead. But when you as a believer in Jesus Christ don't take care of things in your home, you deny the goodness of God. You actually do more damage to the cause of Christ than the guy standing on the street corner saying God is dead. We better be careful. We better take care of things in the home. Amen? That's what Paul is trying to teach through this passage. And then he goes on. <coughs> excuse me. To give the requirements here. He says, if a widow has got to be at least 60 years old. That's three score. She's got to be the husband. I mean, the husband, I'm sorry. The wife of one man. Well reported of for good works. And then he lists the good works here. This idea of the church supporting the widows was not for someone that lived their whole life and then got saved when they were 75 years old and then their kids abandoned them and now they're going to be supported. No, this idea of the widows being taken into support is someone who had lived their whole life for the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it's talking about. The works here. You don't bring up children in a week. It takes a long time. I mean, we've been at this for 20-some years now. And they still keep coming back. And you know what? I want my kids to know they're welcome in my home as long as they're alive. A parent's job is not done until you go to heaven. Amen? And I still like to call on my father-in-law and talk to him every once in a while when I can and, and get some wisdom from men that are older than I am. We need that. It says, if she have lodged strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she have relieved the affliction, if she have diligently followed... Every good work. And believe it or not, people take these next few verses and this is where they go to talk about nuns being married to Jesus Christ and all of this. But the younger widows refuse. For when they have begun to wax wanton against Christ, they will marry, having damnation because they cast off their first faith. Now, just... Get the idea here is, it says younger widows refuse. 
You're not taking them on the church roles to support them because just because your husband or your wife, in this case your husband died, doesn't mean that you're to stop living. Amen? Hello? God is the God of life. This is what is being spoken of here. The Catholic Church and the, and the Orthodox Church have done exactly the opposite. In fact, I believe it's the Carmelite Order of the Nuns. They take a coffin and they make them lay in that coffin as if they were dead for so many days before they are received into the order. And because they are to picture, according to this branch of whatever you want to call it, uh, that they are completely dead to the world and reserved only to Christ. Uh, that's pagan. That's not Bible. This idea of waxing wanton against Christ is saying, listen, you should not be put in a situation where you have to choose serving Christ or stopping living. You should be able to continue living the life that God has given you. And by the way, there's an awful lot that you need to do. Look what it says here. Well, we'll get to that in a minute. And the idea here is, as a younger woman raising children, you don't need to be uh, idle, wandering from house to house. It's tattlers and busybodies speaking things which they ought not. I can tell you stories of churches that have been destroyed because of this kind of thing. Just a little bit of this, get talking, a little bit of this, somebody makes up a story, somebody adds a new detail, and all of a sudden, someone's reputation has been destroyed forever. Not because they did anything wrong, but because some people that had too much time on their hand got talking about things. It takes a lot of work to raise kids. And that's what it says. It just says, listen, I will therefore that the younger women marry, bear children, guide the house, give none occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully. For some are already turned aside after Satan. Now, Paul has dealt with this before. I mean, we just go back here to chapter 4, and we've referred to this once already. The idea of turning aside after Satan is right here, seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. It's already lined out. You are not more spiritual because you're unmarried. You are not less spiritual because you are married. You are not more spiritual because of anything except your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you want more spirituality, get closer to Jesus. If he has called you to be single, Paul deals with this in Corinth, in Corinthians. Thank God that he's put you in a single position and serve God from there. If God wants you to be married... You get married and enjoy your service for God as a married person. 
But here's what happens. The married people wish they were single. And the single people wish they were married. And you know why? It's the old adage, the grass is greener on the other side of the fence. And can I remind you why the grass is greener on the other side of the fence? Who remembers? Because that's where the cesspool is. How many people know what a cesspool is? That's an open sewer pipe pond. That's what they do in the country. You say, I want to live in the country where everything is pure. Hey, let me tell you something. Everything in the country isn't pure and clean. Some of it's green. But it isn't nice. If you ever see a pond that's green, stay away from it. Let me, let me explain something to you. God wants us to enjoy the joy of our salvation every day we live for Him. But we've got to be satisfied where God has put us. We've got to understand that your happiness and your joy doesn't come from another human being. It comes from God. And if you don't realize this in a marriage, you're going to be expecting things in your marriage that your spouse cannot give you. And you will destroy your marriage. There are parents who destroy their children because they are looking to their children to bring them happiness. No, that's not the way it works. God gave us children so that we could give them away. And I'm not looking forward to that. Uh, I don't think there's a young man good enough for some of my daughters. We'll find out. My wife said, I worry about you. Don't worry about me. Worry about that poor boy that's interested in Sarah. That's who you ought to be worried about. Amen. But I told her she could date when she turns 45. Amen. Now, listen. I want the best for my children. If that means getting married and moving to Zimbabwe, then... I pray God will give me the grace to suck it up and be a man and do what's right. Because my children will be safer and have more joy living for God than any other thing that's accomplishable. You, I want my children never to be put in a situation where they think, that they have to choose between living life and serving Jesus. That is not a proper choice. That is a false choice. That is a demonic choice. My life is serving Jesus. The greatest things in my life are because I'm serving Jesus. And Paul's saying, listen, we're not going to allow our kindness toward people that need help to put them in a situation 
where they feel like they have to choose between living life and serving Christ. Because that is a demonic choice. That's what it means to wax wanton against Christ. It is a false, unbiblical choice. It's a situation that should never be brought about in a person's life. And this is what Paul is saying. Listen, guiding the house. That's a big job, ladies. That's a huge responsibility. To give none occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully. How many stories do we know of churches where things went on in the church that were just immoral and wrong? The Bible says let's work against that. To give none occasion to the adversary. It says for some have already turned aside after Satan, thinking that somehow denying these things is going to make them more spiritual. You want to be spiritual? You get into this book called the Bible. You want to be really spiritual? You live for Jesus Christ tomorrow when you go to work. That's real spirituality. You want the greatest piety that you can obtain. Have your kids look at you and say, my dad loved the Lord. My mom loved the Lord. My sister really loves the Lord. My husband loves the Lord. My wife loves the Lord. This is piety. I remember one time saying, Dad, why do you have to go to church every night? And he said, because there's so much work to do. Well, now I live in the church. Amen. And part of it's because of my dad's testimony in my life. It says, if any man, verse 16 will be done. If any man or woman that believeth have widows. You notice it says any man or woman. Let them relieve them and let not the church be charged. That it may relieve them that are widows indeed. There is a time and a place for this. But let us make sure that what we do is under the direction of the Holy Spirit. Let's not let our quote-unquote compassion make life more difficult. Bring false choices into lives. That doesn't mean that we don't help somebody. But if anyone has ever really helped you, it was not a hand out, it was a hand up. Amen? How many of you remember that teacher or teachers that really helped you in school? They were not the ones that said, oh, you're such a nice student, I'm just going to give you an A. They were the ones that said, take this slop home, throw it away, and write me a paper that is worth your name on. Those were the teachers that really helped you, now weren't they? They were the mean ones. That's why I'm going to endeavor to be the meanest dad that ever lived. Why? Because 
I want to help my kids understand the meaning of a few words. I like to say my dad taught me the meaning of two words. Got a complete education. He defined the word no. And he defined the word now. If you understand those two words, you can get along just about anywhere. Isn't that true? Now, I can promise you it's not always pleasant. I can't remember which one of our kids... You would say, no, and they'd come running. They thought we were calling their name. Um, which one was it? I mean, there was one of them. I mean, every time you turn around, it was, no, 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 no. Finally, they started coming out every time we said no to somebody else. Um, maybe I'm exaggerating a little bit. But uh, it was probably Stephen. I'm thinking it was. But you know what? God wants us to serve him. And he wants Stephen to serve him, doesn't he? He wants all of us to be counted for Jesus Christ. And so, don't let the quote-unquote scholars tie you up in this passage. Everything they say it teaches, it doesn't teach. What it teaches is live your religion at home first. Then it'll be real when you leave home. Amen? And follow the Lord. And as each member in the church follows the Lord and does everything they can, guess what? It's going to enable the church to do everything it ought to do. And that's part of sound doctrine, isn't it? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our time tonight. We ask you to work in our midst. We ask that you would bless us even in the difficult situations of life we find ourselves in. And Lord, I pray that we would not allow ourselves to be looking over the fence to be wishing something different for us than it is. Yet, Lord, we know that you want to do more in our lives and we ask that you would put within us that desire and that you would keep that tension in the proper place and proper respect and that we would just simply strive to serve you each day. In Jesus' name we pray. And before we finish that prayer, we'll just give you an opportunity.